my name's my name's Neil. Um, I'm married to the wonderful Kate, and together we attempt to um, lead this church, this Marable. It's really great to see you all here this morning. We're going to have prime musical accompaniment. That's great. It's like uh, you can either listen to me or to the music or whatever. Um, we've been, if you've been around for a while, we've been doing a series over the past few weeks uh, specifically um, on what the Bible has to say about immigration. And really what I mean by that is sort of welcoming the stranger, welcoming the refugee. And before this morning's uh, talk, we thought it'd be great to hear from someone who's part of this church and as a refugee himself uh, might be able to share something of what it's like to arrive here in the UK. Uh, so would you give a warm welcome to Ali. Ali, come and join me. Hello. Yasas. Salam. Hello. Hey. Other languages, I don't know. Uh, it's more difficult than my thought, a bit stressful and nervous, but it's amazing with this lovely sunshine and you here. Thank you. It's great uh, to hear you. Um, so Ali, you've been part of the church for the past several um, months. Why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? Yeah, I moved to London approximately seven or eight months ago, and some of my friends, they recommended your church to me. I came here yeah, five months ago. Everything lovely. First day I met uh, uh, you. No, no, you, you weren't here. Oh, no, 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 you weren't here. Holiday. Mike, Mike, yeah, Mike. and That's why you came uh, back. Henry, yeah was really lovely and yeah now it's almost six months and it's my pleasure to have you friendly and um, nice people around me and amazing brothers and sisters thank you for everything that's good to hear. We like to hear that. Uh, so we've been doing this series on um, on migration, on welcoming the stranger. Um, speaking as a refugee, uh, can you tell us what what might have been some of the things that would have been most helpful for you when you first arrived in the UK? So first thing, I'm not representing other refugees, and I'm Ali. I'm just one refugee in the UK. Yeah, when I came to this country, I met a really lovely family from a church. They were just nice to me, just kind to me. They didn't try to convert me. And this is, I think, this is our mission. We must just be nice and friendly to people, nothing else. That's a good start. And, um, you know, as we're like trying to work our way around this and get our head around this, um, how do you think, maybe it's, you've answered it with your last question, how do you think we can best, as the Church of Jesus Christ, bless and serve uh, those people who are coming towards us, whether they're in our communities or here in the church? So I want to find something on my phone. I want to read it 
for you guys from the Bible. Finally, all of you be like-minded. Be sympathetic. Love you, love one another. Be compassionate and humble. The best way you can be with a stranger is just being nice, being lovely with them. Don't judge them wherever they come from. What was their job? They came to you as a refugee. They want just peaceful life. So be nice and lovely to them. That's it. Fantastic. Thanks, Annie. You're a legend. is fantastic Ali thank you so much that's no mean feat I mean getting up in front of you you're all lovely of course but um, getting in front of you is like one thing and then doing that in your second language or whatever is uh, is even more challenging so thank you so much uh, that's really great if you guys have got a bible turn with me to Matthew uh, chapter 2 we'll start in verse 13 the words might miraculously appear behind us um this is Matthew chapter 2. An angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, he said, take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. So he got up, took the child and his mother during the night and left for Egypt, where he stayed until the death of Herod. And so was fulfilled what the Lord had said through the prophet out of Egypt I called my son. And so uh, tucked away uh, in, in the middle of this second chapter of Matthew, you've got this short uh, narrative. I don't think it's in any of the other Gospels. And it's, it's actually of a pretty dramatic incident in the life of uh, Joseph and Mary and Jesus. And so shortly after his birth, and uh, they're not entirely sure how shortly, but you know, some people say it could have been a couple of years or whatever. But Certainly not that long after um, his birth, it seems that Jesus' Jesus' parents had to flee with this infant um, to Egypt. Herod is this all-powerful king of great notoriety. He's got wind uh, of the coming of this king, Jesus, and that makes him uh, very nervous, and so he decides he's set about to have Jesus uh, killed. And so despotic is Herod's rule, and, and, and such is his sort of paranoid uh, humili- uh, frustration and determination to find and to kill this infant Jesus, that, that Herod unleashes all of his vengeance, um, and he slaughters every uh, single child that could possibly be uh, Jesus, and even if that's the children of his own people. You know, for us today, as we read uh, and think back to this story from Matthew chapter 2, it's, it's, it's difficult really for us to read that story and not think of the families of immigrants, uh, perhaps arriving at the southern border of the US or on the shores of Greece or crossing uh, the Channel. Sometimes their parents and children fleeing their homelands, other times and far too often their miners traveling on their own. But just like the Holy Family, these 
People are seeking refuge from violence and terror. There may not be a ruthless King Herod hunting them down, um, but there may be repressive governments. You know, they could have been the victims of uh, gangs. They may be coming from war zones. They may find themselves confronted by corrupt police officers or uh, difficult, dodgy border control officers, um, some of whom are persecuting them rather than protecting them. And in Matthew, it's, it's most likely intentional on, on the part of the gospel writer to introduce these um, foreign characters into the gospel story, into the nativity, these visitors from uh, the east. And he does that kind of early on in his gospel because it becomes an important theme of the gospel of Matthew. And so you've got these mysterious uh, travelers. We often uh, call them uh, magi. Uh, sometimes we call them the three wise men. Uh, I'm not entirely sure why, but um, I think that most of that comes from medieval tradition rather than from the Bible. But these uh, travelers, um, possibly a little bit like Ali, they uh, are Persian. Persian astronomers in these cases um, who really in stark contrast to Herod uh, they've, they've come to worship uh, Jesus, they've come to bring gifts they've followed as we all know this star from their distant homeland just so that they can see him the contrast is with King Herod we see this, this paranoia, this fear and this resistance to God and yet in these mysterious foreigners, these strangers who've come all the way from this far and distant land, there's this obedience that we see to the divine will. And it is an irony that is sort of runs all the way through the gospel of Matthew that he kind of picks up on. So it's the, it's the leaders of the Jews, it's Herod, it's the Pharisees, it's the Sadducees, it's the chief priests and the scribes all of whom reject Jesus. And yet, uh, it's those who are on the outside, those who are on the fringes, the invisible ones living in the margins. It's the poor, it's the outcast, it's the sick, it's the prostitutes, it's the tax collectors. All of those are the ones who receive Jesus. Herod sees Jesus as this threat. You know, he's heard about this child who will one day be king and usurp him, and he's decided that Jesus must be found and killed. And in today's language, as a result of this uh, escape to Egypt, um, we would say that Jesus and his parents are refugees. That's what we would describe them as. Uh, a refugee is des described as a person who flees from his or her, her home country to seek refuge elsewhere because of persecution or a well-founded fear of persecution on account of race religion, nationality, political opinion, or membership in a particular social group. Now, uh, it's important to say, I think, that uh, in the ancient world, borders as we think of them today didn't really um, exist. And so technically, as a result, neither uh, did refugee status. Um, of course, at the time, there were separate nations. You know, you've got um, Egypt and Syria and Israel and whatever. But there weren't, as far as I can gather, quite the same sort of hard lines, these hard borders uh, delineated on maps. You know, there weren't um, visas or passports that would have been required in order to 
get to, to travel to, to live in a, a foreign land. Joseph and Mary simply grabbed their child and fled. And another thing is that some historians, cartographers, dispute the idea that borders are um, either natural on the one hand or, or essential on the other. Instead, uh, some believe that it's actually the movement of people that is most natural uh, and that borders uh, actually the, the, the restriction of movement between borders, what that can do quite easily is create the opportunity to wield more control over others, to limit access to resources, and especially to wield that over the poor and the dispossessed. Some even go as far as to say that it's the borders themselves that produce the violence which so often surrounds them, including creating the opportunity for criminality like the trafficking and smuggling of people, goods, drugs, weapons, money, all those other things that go on. Now, I am no expert by any means, and we don't have time to go into that in, in any kind of detail. However, it does raise, I think, some interesting questions for us as followers of Jesus. Things like, how does God see the people who come to any border seeking admission? How are they seen in God's eyes? Uh, how are we to respond to uh, borders, especially borders uh, that seem to be detrimental or seem to harm uh, the world's poor? And another thing, what might be the responsibility and the response of the church and for us as followers of Jesus, as opposed to that of the state, to those who ask for admission and seek admission to a country? I think at least part of the answer lies in, um, in 1 John 3, verses 17 to 18. If anyone, it sort of touches on what Ali was saying, I think. If anyone has material possession and sees a brother or sister in need but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? Dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and in truth. You know, another way of putting that would be, be kind. The reality is that uh, values as Christians as followers of Jesus should always reflect our allegiance to Christ above all. As followers of Jesus, we are called to love God and we are called to love and serve our neighbours, particularly those neighbours who are most vulnerable and in need. Um, often uh, our border policies or international border policies look and feel and seem like they're designed to prevent the movement of the world's poor, a people group that God says, the scriptures say that as Christians we should be caring for and not harming. And the prophet Isaiah, again eloquently as always, reminds us that the, the fasting that God chooses, and, and, and by that what Isaiah I think means by saying fasting is, is, is what's the outworking, what's the demonstration of your faith, what does your faith actually look like or what should it look like and Isaiah 58 says this it says is this not the kind of fasting is this is this not what I think your faith should look like to loose the chains of injustice and untie the cords of the yoke to set the oppressed free to break every yoke is it not to share your food with the hungry 
and to provide the poor wanderer with shelter. To provide the poor wanderer with shelter. When you see the naked, to clothe them and not to turn away from your own flesh and blood. What does it look like for us to be sharing our food uh, today with the hungry? Um, what does it mean to provide the wanderer with shelter? Um, I don't know, it means probably lots of things, but perhaps one of the things that sharing our food means is sharing um, the opportunities that we have because of the privilege that many of us have because of where we were born, the country that we were born into. And so perhaps some of it is sharing the opportunities of our UK job market. Uh, what does providing shelter to the poor wanderer mean? Well, perhaps that's to do with welcoming immigrants um, in need into our country in the same way that Egypt welcomed Mary and Joseph and the child Jesus. Uh, something I, I learned um, when prepping this talk, I learn something every week, it's like an, every week is a new education uh, for me and um, perhaps some of you from Spain or Latin America uh, may be familiar with this or will tell me afterwards that I was completely making it up and the rest of you are completely oblivious to all my made-up stuff and heresy. Um, but apparently, you'll tell me if I'm wrong, apparently every year from December the 16th to the 24th, there's um, a festival called, um, my Spanish is really not good, uh, Las Posadas. Um, and, and roughly translated Las Posadas, uh, Posadas is, like, means inn or shelter, apparently, in, in Spanish. And this festival, uh, which is mainly celebrated sort of in uh, Mexico, Central America, Cuba, apparently it's been knocking around for like a thousand years or something. It was originally designed to, um, to tell the Christmas story or elements of the Christmas story from the Bible to people who couldn't read the Bible. And, um, and recalling the event, or it does recall the events leading up to Jesus' birth, it, it has this sung liturgy that is performed in the streets rather than in uh, the church. And Las Posadas, it, it begins with this street uh, procession um, that reenacts Mary and Joseph's search uh, for shelter um, at the inn. And, and those playing the protagonists in the story of Mary and Joseph, they're, they're dressed in costume and they're carrying candles and they follow this prescribed route through the town or the, the village uh, knocking on all of these doors and at each door uh, through there's these kind of special posadas uh, songs they ask if there's room at the inn and the, the verses are sort of sung alternately by those who are outside and those who are on the inside and all of which it creates this sort of sung um, dialogue between Joseph and the innkeeper so Joseph starts off and he'll sing something that means something like, in the name of heaven, I ask you for shelter, for my beloved wife can go no further. And, and then the innkeeper who's inside the house replies, this is not an inn, sings. Uh, get on with you, I can't open the door, you might be a criminal. Apparently. Uh, and so it goes on um, with people from the community, they're all following behind and singing and clapping and cheering and candles and all that kind of stuff. And, and all of the neighbours participating in the Posada open their doors and then each one, they've been scripted, each one purposefully sort of sings their refusal to Mary 
and Joseph. And, and it's, it's obviously not until the very end of the route and some lucky family have drawn the, won the lottery that they get this designated house that finally allows Mary and Joseph to come in and so the, the, the Holy Family have now finally found their welcome and so there's a great party and there's lots of food and drink and Bible readings and piñatas and all things Spanish, I don't know, tapas and whatever, right? Uh, it's time to celebrate. So Las Posadas, it sounds like and feels like this, this beautiful sort of Advent tradition um, and it's an important beloved part of many of the sort of Christmas traditions, certainly in, in Latin American countries. Um, but it's also one that over recent years has taken on a new form. And it's taken on a new form along the US-Mexico uh, border. And it's now called La Posada Sin Fronteras, which means shelter uh, without borders. And it uses exactly the same songs as the whole traditional Posadas liturgy. But rather than walking through a neighborhood and knocking on doors, um, faith leaders, immigration advocates, immigrants and other supporters gather on both sides of the US-Mexico border. And they reenact the journey of Mary and Joseph. And the group on the Mexican side represent Mary and Joseph asking for shelter while those on the US side play the part of the innkeeper repeatedly rejecting the request. And it's this reenactment of an ancient tradition that actually contextualizes the bitter drama of displaced uh, immigrants and brings us all into the sacred story of God himself struggling to enter an inhospitable world. And there's something about this pretty uncomfortable um, liturgy being set you know, in a location where so much violence is still taking place that removes the somewhat sanitized sort of romanticism of many of our modern day Christmas um, observances. And it recalls the stark realities uh, faced not only by Mary and Joseph uh, all those years ago, but by so many on a regular ongoing basis um, now. And, you know, I don't know about you, but I'm sure most of us would like to imagine that were we the innkeeper, we would of course have welcomed Mary and Joseph into our homes and provided shelter. Um, I'm not sure if that's true, certainly of me. And Las Posadas Sin Fronteras, I think, reminds us all, I think, of the many obstacles that stand in a migrant's path. And I think remembering things in this way keeps us firmly rooted in the reality that I certainly would most likely not have welcomed the Holy Family. Again and again, the Bible says that our identities are in Christ, the refugee God, for want of a better expression, whose, whose love knew no limits, uh, lived a life committed to justice and peace. Acts 17 verse 28 is just one of those places it reminds us that it's in him we live and move and have our being. In other words, as followers of Jesus, our, our true home is always in Jesus, not in this context that we're looking at, at the moment on a mere map with borders drawn up in many cases by politicians in remote offices. We dwell with God. God dwells with us. And as part of God's family, there 
can be no borders. Those who belong to Christ, we are all one family in Christ. And I suppose we're sort of still technically, we're still in the season of Epiphany, um, so I can probably just about get away with it. But, you know, when we think back to the story of Christmas, which we've uh, just celebrated, it's, it's, it's a story um, filled with foreigners. It's filled, it's full of the stranger. You've got um, these visiting foreigners from the east. You've got the shepherds, you know, and they were a pretty strange bunch. I mean, you've got animals, for goodness sake, you know, as, as witnesses to the birth of Christ. And the wonder of Christmas, um, like everything about the kingdom of God, is that it's a complete reversal of expectations. It's all about the upside-down nature of the kingdom of God. And as we've seen in this, um, the escape from Egypt, Jesus, uh, the Son of God himself, has become a refugee. His incarnation extends even to refugee status. But even in that, there's a reversal too. You know, when Jesus uh, comes to Matthew 25, Jesus reminds us that when we welcome foreigners, when we extend a hand to the vulnerable and those in need, that we are actually welcoming him. And so it was God disguised as Ruth that we looked at last week who arrived in Bethlehem as a poor widow. It was God who Boaz welcomed onto his fields. Um, it was God who, who the whole community welcomed and embraced and loved as one of their own. Uh, going back a couple more weeks, it was God disguised as the foreign girl Hagar who was mistreated and abandoned and driven to the desert to seek freedom and solace and liberation. Um, it was God who came to us long ago in a manger, teaching us how to love one another and care for the poor and marginalised. And though um, much of the world may ignore the afflictions of the migrant, God sees clearly, God cares deeply and acts decisively in Christ Jesus. And though they may be marginalised in the eyes of the world, immigrants, refugees, asylum seekers are significant in the eyes of God. You know, if you cast your mind back again to a couple of weeks ago and the cheerful and uplifting talk I gave on Hagar, you'll remember it was Hagar who said of God, you are the God who sees. She says, you are the God who sees. And, and the same God who saw Hagar sees us. And, and we know that and we appreciate that and we love that about God. The question, I think, is not so much whether God will see and hear and welcome us. Most of us, I think, have confidence and, and, and faith that he will. I think the question is whether we will see and hear and welcome God as a refugee, as an asylum seeker, as a migrant. Why don't you stand? Uh, we're gonna celebrate the Lord's Supper. So Alex, if you'd like to join me up here.